Hey everyone, welcome back to season two of the Pop Anime Comics Lounge, where I have with me today model, cosplayer, co-writer of the comic Widow's Web, Autumn Ivy. So thank you for being on the podcast. Of course. It's great to have you on because all your cosplays and the modeling you've done and I just love Widow's Web. So we're going to start out with some cosplay questions. How were you first introduced to the world of cosplay? Well, I mean, I'd always really liked Halloween as a kid. So it was kind of one of those things that I was born by it, molded even. So one of my first conventions was Phoenix Comic Con in 2010. Before that, I didn't even actually know the comic convention thing even existed. So it was really cool to finally get introduced to that and be able to step out and wear costumes, you know, in a more generalized public setting and meet other fans of the things that I liked. So that kind of got me going and I've been doing it ever since. I'm assuming this was the first time you created a cosplay and wore a cosplay. It was. Actually, my very first costume was Revy from Black Lagoon. Everybody continued to think that I was Laura Croft and it drove me insane for the first several days. But that was technically what you would consider closet cosplay because it was clothes that I had because it's such a simple costume for her. But then Poison Ivy, I had actually bought a two-piece that was designed with leaves and stuff glued onto it. After those two, though, because that was my first, I have done nothing but try to make them myself ever since because I'm stubborn. And now to talk a little bit about Revy. What drew you to her character? God, everything. Revy is such a dark character. She's so broken in so many ways. And originally when I watched Black Lagoon, I saw this chick who was angry and she was assertive and she was just like, you know what? You know, get the fuck out of my way. This is how it's going to be one way or the other. And the second that I laid eyes on her, I was like, that's my girl. That is my bae. Like, she is my waifu forever and I will keep her 100%. And I did. And the deeper I got into the show, all the way up through Roberta's blood trip, waiting for the next fucking volume to come out hopefully soon maybe if he stops taking forever i fell more and more in love with her as the times pass and now you have her arm <laughs> tattoo on you i do i do have her arm tattoo. obviously the viewers can't <laughs> see it but what's the story behind that tattoo and how do you feel it authenticates the cosplay as well as your just love for Black Lagoon. It's actually funny that you bring that up because I feel like a lot of tattooed cosplayers or alternative cosplayers that have facial piercings or piercings and things like that, we actually get a lot of shit because of that. But when I do Revy and I put on that outfit, I could give a fuck less. Like, that is my girl. The tattoo I actually wound up getting because there's an episode where she's sitting on the boat with Rock and they're having a conversation and she basically talks about how God's dead. Like, no matter what you do in life this is how it's gonna be and it really struck me pretty deep it was one of those things where it meant so much to me that I was like all right this is my character I feel for her on a level that is gonna take me I need to keep this in mind so it was my permanent reminder of keep moving forward no matter what and how is Revy received at conventions it's actually kind of funny. It depends. Either people think I'm Laura Croft, which is constant, and it drives me insane, but I get it. You know, I understand there's some people who are just not as familiar with anime. But when I'm at an anime convention, Revy draws in, I think, a fandom where they appreciate strong women. And that is something that I've always appreciated about Black Lagoon in general, because you have this array of female characters that are going to get shit done, and they do. So having Revy received it, like anime conventions where people recognize her, has been nothing but wonderful. Like, I'm so appreciative of the people that come up to me, and I get to talk to them in character, and then they freak out. And it's awesome, because I can cuss at people, and nobody cares. And now to talk about the second cosplay you made, which was Poison Ivy. What yes. drew you to her character? 
Poison Ivy's backstory, despite having been written by a couple of different people, the primary backstory is that she had this garden initially and she'd invited orphans and stuff into it. And one of the instances is that the garden was burned down. And so she has this drive where she doesn't really want to necessarily be a bad character, but there are instances that make her a bad character because she kind of loses her mind a little bit in a couple of situations. If you haven't ever picked up the comics, there's just so much beauty in the character where she's got these feelings about Harley and about situations like the planet and, and plants and everything. She just wants things to live. But because there's a consistent destruction around her, it continues to break her down and it just kind of drives her a little bit southbound. So she's a draw to me because she's such a powerful female character. She doesn't need anybody but herself. And she proves that time and time again. And the only real attachment you ever see her have, besides the one time fling with Harvey, and that ends horribly, but is Harley. And Harley is her go-to girl. That's her best friend. That's her entire world. And more recently, actually, in the New 52 series, they bring about the point of her basically saying, look, I just want to see her happy. And that is my girl, like 100%. So she's really important to me. I mean, obviously, there's many different Poison Ivies. How did you go about choosing which Poison Ivy to do? Originally, I just kind of did my own thing. Like I said, it was kind of thrown together. It was a two-piece underwear set that had leaves and shit glued on it. But it was really hokey. But the more that I progressed in mention scene, the more I wanted to do something that was more her and more accurate. So I kind of picked things up and I started trying to figure out, okay, you know, how do I make this? What do I do here? And I've done three different versions of Ivy, including the New 52. And I'll be honest, the New 52... I think is my favorite, especially just due to some of the new comic orientation and the direction that they went with her. And now to talk a little bit about the other two Poison Ivy mm-hmm. cosplays you did, you did an apocryphal version of her. Yes, I did an apocalyptic version. That was a lot of fun. And I think I only wore that costume once, but I would really like to rehash that. God, you're bringing that up and I'm looking back on it. And I'm like, there's so much cooler shit I could have done with that. But yeah, I did do an apocalyptic Ivy just because it was one of those things where I feel like in an apocalypse setting, you know, stuff would start to regrow. And due to humanity's sense of destruction, of course, nature's going to take back what it owns. And if anything, Ivy would thrive in that kind of environment. That would be like her whole entire world right there in a second. And then what was the inspiration for the new 52 version of Ivy? The new 52 version in particular, I was quite fond of her darker design. They took a character who was really known for showing a lot of skin and being that sexualized. For God's sake, she uses pheromones to draw people in and then fucking kills them. And there was a draw to that and I understood it. But with the new 52 having come out, they completely rehashed the design of her character. And now she's got the black full suit in some instances. And in others, it can shift and it turns into different things. And I thought that was really cool because that's something we had seen before. And now how does Poison Ivy influence your cosplay name? (laughs) I feel like it was one of those things. So originally when I had first done Ivy, I was meeting new people. Actually, I met Raven Gregory, my co-writer and co-creator of Widow's Web. I met him at Phoenix Comic Con, but he had noticed one of my cosplays. And from that point forward, everybody that I had met wearing that costume through 2010, 2011 called me Ivy. And that was what I was known by. They never used my first name. They always just called me Ivy, no matter what I was wearing. And I was like, that's how we're going to incorporate it. Then I'll just use it in my name. So it kind of stuck by me and it's been a part of me ever since. 
Now, you mentioned that the new 52 Poison Ivy is your favorite cosplay out of that mm -hmm. three. What draws you to that one? I think it was the transition that she went through as a character. For example, there was a comic that was released that was the Joker's Asylum version. And Joker's Asylum, they did a Poison Ivy script that she just loses her fucking mind about halfway through. But she shapeshifts and basically turns back into herself and reveals herself to the bad guy at the end. I don't really want to ruin anything. But I always liked that version. But when they transitioned her character and made her a little bit more human, I guess, where you understood, because she's a doctor. She's always been very intelligent and very like, look, I understand what I'm saying. This is the point I'm trying to get across. And she proceeds that way as a character. And they did carry that into New 52. But there was something different about her in the updates. I'm not quite sure if I can put my finger on it. I feel like it's a lot of the interactions with Harley and the fact that the costume change alone made people pay more attention to the text versus just her being this over-sexualized character with this potential to be anything but deadly, really. I just appreciated they brought more out in her. And obviously, DC is going in a very new direction with Poison Ivy and Harley. Yes. As their relationship is starting to kick off. Yes. <laughs> How does that affect you as a cosplayer and evolving the character? character as the DC universe and the DC comic line is constantly changing and evolving. I'm proud of it. The thing that I think people forget is that change is necessary to bring up kind of a different genre but still on the same topic. I'm a huge fan of Nightmare on Elm Street. I always will be. Freddy Krueger is my favorite horror slasher of all time ever. But as an example, they took the Nightmare on Elm Street idea and they twisted it and tried to make a rehash and it fell flat in my opinion, especially as a fan. With DC trying to take old characters and basically rehashing them and trying to bring about new ideas. Like, the comic industry's been around a long time. It's time for things to start spreading open. But specifically with Ivy and Harley's relationship, for example, I feel like there's a deeper spread of acceptance than there used to be. And I think they're trying to push in that direction. Like, look, we can do these things. We can make this work. We can keep it canon. And it all makes sense. Which is something that I can appreciate with them moving that direction. Specifically with Ivy and Harley's relationship I'm 100% behind it. I am appreciative of the fact that they're showing that finally because there's always been like that deep friendship with them but being able to see it blossom into something especially with Ivy being such a non-jealous character it's pretty cool so I'm appreciative of it. And now before we talk about your other cosplays I kind of <laughs> want to go into the creation behind how you create your cosplays so how do you start when you're building your cosplays? It totally depends. I'll be honest. It's kind of hard to nitpick it apart from one to the other. Specifically Specifically with Ivy, for example, versus Revy, since we covered those already. Revy was literally a, what they call a closet cosplay, which is clothes I had. Because it is such a simple costume, there's not really anything I had to make. I did have a custom leather harness built. So to kind of backtrack, Revy, I closet cosplayed and then I spent a lot of money on some blowback airsoft Berettas, which I should not have done. But man, they're beautiful and I do not regret that purchase because they have the Jolly Roger symbol on the hilt of it, but it's inscribed just like her are. So they have the language and the skull and everything on it. And so I spent a lot of money on those and a custom harness. But that's one example. When I did New 52, I think I spent like 16 hours gluing leaves and like painting them down and trying to get them attached to the bodysuit. And it was just stupid. But the patience paid off because it turned out to be a successful costume. Whereas to introduce another costume I did, I did Air Stigalkin from Guild Wars 2. 
And out of all the costumes I've ever done, I think that's the one I was most proud of because it took me like 60 hours to cleat. And I literally built it out of nothing but a bra. That whole costume is built out of nothing but a bra. And the only reason I had to build it off the bra is because unfortunately when you're top heavy and you're female, costumes can go a little bit awry, especially armor. So you have to be careful when you're building. And with Air Stagalkin, I had to take craft foam to use as a base to build the body piece. And I actually took aluminum sheet metal and bent it so that I was able to create the scale mail on the arms and several other things. So cosplay is an interesting craft. Now you just mentioned a bunch of materials. How do you go about mm -hmm. obtaining your materials, finding materials, balancing the economics of the materials? Pray to the flying spaghetti monster that you make enough money to make it happen. <laughs> With finding materials, it depends on what you're looking for. A lot of stuff can be locally bought, you know, at any craft store or at any home craft store or building supply store. It depends on what you're looking for. A lot of my stuff I'll find at like Home Depot or Hobby Lobby, stuff like that. I will find around there. You can also check out Harbor Freight has a lot of really good stuff. If you need dremeling tools or heat guns, things like that, they normally sell them pretty cheap. So do your research. Don't drop money. Look first. Ordering online is always a really good option because you can buy things in bulk as well. Warbler is super expensive. I personally am more of a fan of Sentra and the products that I'm naming are primarily used to build armor, but they're heat activated. So that kind of stuff I would look online. And now you mentioned that you're top heavy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's okay. It's totally true. I know. My hashtag for almost everything on everything is balloon tits for a reason. So it's fine. I'm assuming that's a challenge when you cosplay. And what other challenges do you face when you're creating your cosplays? That's one of the primary problems, to be completely honest. So in all serious talk, I know other top heavy girls or curvaceous girls can tell you one of the major challenges is definitely shaping armor to fit the top just because it sucks. It takes so much time. And if you don't do it right, you got a lopsided boob and it's just not okay. You have to really work hard to adjust for that. As far as any other things, it's not so much a physical thing as it is a mental thing. Like being a perfectionist or being OCD is really difficult because you see something and you know it's off and then you want to fix it, but then you have to redo it and then you have to redo it again because you notice little bits and pieces are just not perfect and it drives you insane. I try to make it a point to be as dead on to the character's costume as I possibly can in terms of textures and things because if it doesn't look right, it'll drive me insane. I have several costumes. I wish I could go back and change that, but it just leaves me room to rebuild it. And how does convention guidelines affect what you cosplay? I'm quite irritated, actually, for several reasons. I had a specific convention that will remain nameless where there was an announcement made where they were advising that only so much of your butt cheek that could be seen and there was no side boob and no under boob and you couldn't do this, you couldn't do that. They literally came out with a list of rules that advised that if they had seen anything that were not meeting their requirements, that they would remove you from the convention. And I had had friends that had had bunny suits that they had made and spent a lot lot of time making like a big group of girls and the bunny suits were bikini cut so of course you're gonna see a lot of the butt that's a freaking bunny suit and one two three fuck it handful of the girls got super upset because they're like well I spent all this time I'm not even gonna risk wearing it because then it won't be worth it if I get kicked out and that pissed me right off because I 100% and will always stand by the fact that if you can wear that shit to a public pool then you're fine period end of story well hate to break it to you but I'm pretty sure that thong bikini cuts count as wearing at 
a pool. It's not public indecency, goddammit, it's fine. So, as far as adjusting a costume, I would rather have the costume be as accurate as humanly possible and wear stockings and shit under it to try to adjust to standard if it's not bikini standards. <laughs> than to have somebody come up to me and be like, oh, your ass is hanging out, just so you know. Like, bitch, I will turn around and slap the shit out of you. I know my ass is hanging out. It's part of the deal. My bad. So how does that affect you as a cosplayer? And how do you remedy that situation for yourself? And as well as others, if you know of any. What's funny to me is I've noticed since cosplay has hit mainstream more recently, it's a fucking cat fight. Cosplay is costume and play and you're supposed to have fun and it's supposed to be enjoyable. And this was never meant to be a fucking beauty contest. And it bothers me because that is exactly the direction that it's gone. And here's the thing. I don't put myself on a pedestal, but I myself have worked with a handful of well-known and well-named cosplayers. And you know what? They suck. And I can say that from having worked with them. I had an instance where there was one specific cosplayer who shall remain nameless that went to a mutual friend who was also a fan and proceeded to tell him that every time she saw my picture go across her newsfeed that she would like to puke because I needed to lose at least 10 pounds because I was such a fat ass. And this was not by hearsay. This was a screenshot conversation that got sent to me. So with that being said, it's a cat fight and it's not okay. You should not have to be in fear of wearing a costume or to be yourself or anything else. That's not what this was ever about. This was supposed to be about dressing up, having fun, going out with your friends, meeting other people who are fans of the same shit, and having a good time. And now to shift it back to some cosplays that you built. We're gonna go into a bit of comics with the Wicked and the Divine. Oh, man. Oh. I don't know how to say this character's name. I'll let you say the character's name. Bab from The Wicked and the Divine is actually part of the Three-Headed Goddess. She's known as the Morgan. But she is Celtic based. And it's actually funny because there are three sides of her for a reason. And the one I chose, which was the redhead, of course, Bab is a warrior and she's a fighter. And that's what she does. You've got Gentle Anne. And then, of course, you've got the third side of her. And all of them each are representative of personality traits, which is what drew me to that specific character. I was always into the mythos and lore. And the Wicked and the Divine is just such an interesting take on all of the various gods. They have gods that haven't been talked about or introduced in anything but your old school middle school mythology class and it's just a crazy awesome take and Bab I immediately was drawn to because of who she represents and because of who she is so I'm 100% behind the warriors. Bab's cosplay is fascinating and it combines a bunch of materials How'd you go about creating that? The corset piece and the arm piece, I actually had to build by hand. If you look at the corset base that's around the middle, it ties on the back side. So I wore an underbust corset underneath, but all of that is craft foam and it's had fabric wrapped around it to build layers to look that way. The arm piece is a very similar thing. I built a sleeve and then I hot glued all of the pieces one by one on top of it. My least favorite part about that costume was the damn raven feathers because I could not find feathers at that time of year to save my life. And the feathers I wanted were the cool, oil-slick-looking rooster feathers. And believe it or not, rooster feathers, for whatever damn reason, were stupid expensive. So I sat there and I was like, okay, I'm gonna buy cheap white feathers and I'm just gonna spray paint them and it'll be fine. Well, it wasn't fine, it sucked. But I got it done. <laughs> and being this character, did you find the other two parts at a convention yet? I haven't! I wasn't in costume was what sucked. I have seen Mav, I think. I'm trying to remember her name. The primary self. I've seen her once. I've never seen a gentle Anne. 
And now to shift into some video game cosplays you've done, which is yes. quite a lot. One of them was from Final Fantasy. Lulu? I did do Lulu. What mm -hmm. is the story behind that? So, Lulu's fucking beautiful, first and foremost. She's a tyrant at the same time. And everybody wanted to bang Lulu, including myself. <laughs> Let's be real. Everybody wanted to bang Lulu. But it's actually funny because my husband, whom I met at Phoenix Comic Con, funny enough, was 100% balls deep in Lulu. That was his go-to girl back in the day next to Riku. And we got to talking about it at one point and he had bothered me to do Lulu for at least a year and a half. And finally, I got pissed off and fed up and I was like, fine, fine, I'll do Lulu. That was actually a borrowed costume. Blackfire Productions made it for a friend of mine and I asked her to borrow it just to sate his annoying urge to do this. But I'd always appreciated Lulu and the fact that she had such depth, and I hate to bring this game up, but I'm gonna have to. 10-2, when you go on, she talks about what happened and the death and everything else, which I won't ruin it if you haven't played it, which by the way, where the hell have you been if you haven't? But after kind of learning a little bit more about her backstory at that point, I just feel for her. And she's so deep and pretty and I could go on and on. And now you just mentioned your husband who also cosplays as you were read from Transistor with your husband. What was it like to cosplay in this situation? Transistor broke my damn heart. Like, broke it in half. A hundred pieces. We both played Transistor, and he's actually the one who had me play it originally. The game, if you have not played it, is well worth a play. Some of the overall combat is repetitive, but if you play it for any reason, a hundred percent play it for the story. I did cry. But overall, with cosplaying with him, especially when he was the boxer and I was red, it was really cool. Like, he'd walk by and people wouldn't realize who he was. And then he'd turn around and they would see the jacket and they'd be like, oh, shit. Oh, they're together. I get that. We've done Rock and Revy together as well. Although those pictures somehow got lost to the internet and people weren't really sure who he was because all he had was the tie. And they're like, are you a businessman? And he's like, well, yes. But I still have to make Mad Moxie because one of his primary was Handsome Jack. And he's a douchebag when he cosplays Handsome Jack, which is part of the deal. You have to be if you cosplay Handsome Jack. And that leads right into my next question about Borderlands. You have cosplayed a few characters from Borderlands. I did Lilith once a while ago, and it was for a friend's fan-made film that he did. That was before 2 came out and before the pre-sequel. And again, I'm trying to like avoid spoilers just in case, but I fucking hate Lilith, first of all. And the thing is, is you don't know that originally. Like I thought she was cool. And then the pre-sequel came out after 2, which 2, even then I was like, damn, he fucking killed Roland. Like, oh no. And then the pre-sequel happened and you get more of Jack's backstory. And I love anti-heroes and villains have my heart always. And unfortunately, that piece of shit character that he is, I fell head over heels for. Especially during the pre-sequel when you find out that it was between Moxie and Lilith just tearing shit apart. And I'm like, wait a minute, like he's got a reason to lose his shit. And I've argued with my husband over this because his disagreeance with it is that he should not have shot the scientists out the airlock. I, for one, totally understand they could have been deceitful. Could have been. I'm just saying. So I get it. As much as I dislike Moxie for that, brings me to my next thing. I've done a gender bin, Handsome Jack which was so much fun, A+, plus, because literally it consists of walking around a convention, flipping off over 18 adults. And so horrible as it is, 
It's still pretty fun. I do plan on doing Moxie eventually. And now you met a group at one of these cons where you were all Handsome Jack. So funny story about that. Those are pretty much all my convention friends have done Handsome Jack at one point or another. But they're all female. So Lee is the only male Handsome Jack. But they don't do gender bands. There's only one of my female friends that does a gender bend Jack as well that I've hung out with anyway. And that's Citrus Bell. But she's done gender bend Handsome Jack as well. But the group that you're talking about were all chicks except for Lee. And it was fantastic. Just being in one space with so many Jacks could implode a small star. Now, you mentioned Moxie. When are you going to attempt to do Moxie? Okay, so Overwatch kind of rules my life right now. I can't. My life is never ending. I don't have a date on that one, even though I should. Let's talk about Overwatch. McCree, why these characters? How did it come about? How is it ruling your life? Overwatch is nothing but husbandos and waifus. That is the game of husbandwives. Like, that's it, period. So, you needed a cute Jamaican that likes to DJ? Well, here you go. Oh, you need an emo edgelord that flies off like a butterfly every time he gets shot at? Well, there you go. You like cowboys? Have that one. I just can't wrap my head around these characters, and I hate it because Blizzard has created something that has such a an intense backstory that everybody wants to know about. And I hate it because I'm like, Blizzard, stop. I didn't want this. And I have an obsession and it's a problem. Obviously, we know you have an Overwatch problem. It's all right. But we want to know why these two characters, how did they come about? I'll start with Reaper because he's a problem. So originally when the game came out, Lee and I had talked about it. And the first two characters that we really saw enough about was Widowmaker and Reaper. And I was like, oh, cool. Those are costumes we can do. They're the bad guys. And they go together because they're both a part of Talon. That's cool. And then I realized after the game came out and I learned more about the characters, I hate Widowmaker. She should die in a fire. And my girlfriend, Sarah, and Lee both proceeded to tell me that I am Reaper in the mornings because I am an edgelord deep down inside and I hate everyone. Plus, the character backstory behind Reaper is like, I get why he's so damn angry. And I appreciate him for that. So I have to do Reaper on the sole basis that I get to be an edgelord all day, every day, and introduce people to my black metal album. McCree, on the other hand, is my husband, period of the story. I grew up in the country, and I grew up riding horses, and I grew up in the cowboy setting. That's what I grew up with, was old school cowboy movies, Clint Eastwood, John Wayne. That was my shit. My grandpa used to watch that stuff all the time, and the second that I saw McCree, I had a love-hate relationship with him because it reminded me of all of that stuff that I miss a lot. But at the same time, I was like, oh, man, but look at him go. And straight Clint Eastwood status, he went to my heart. So when I learned more about his character, I realized that he was somebody that I definitely had to do because he's all about retribution. Unlike Reaper, who's all about revenge and is, nah, I'm going to take your shit because fuck you, that's why. McCree, I did a lot of really bad things and I need to make up for them. Even though I know everybody's going to blame me and no matter what I do, I'm always going to be the bad guy. I regret the things that I did, so I'm going to make them right. And he has a conversation and reveals some information in one of the first comics Blizzard released. And it's his comic, but it's really good. If you get the chance, you should read the comics. They're pretty awesome. So I'm stuck on McCree, and I have to do it for retribution. And did we touch on Zyra? Zarya is my pink waifu. 
Tumblr has a bad tendency of trying to force her into a position where she's got to be a lesbian, which is fine. But I'm like, Tumblr, stop. The entire fandom and the entire situation is pansexual. They're together. Zarya, though, specifically is a character that has a lot more depth than she lets on. So she's got the lines where she's rooting her teammates on when you're in a positive setting and you're on offense. And then there's the lines... I want to hug you like big Siberian bear. And I'm like, that's my wife. That right there is my wife. Because I want to hug people like a big Siberian bear. It's perfect. But what happened to her and some of her backstory information, it really hits hard. Because she did everything in her power to try to save the people around her and to try to make things right. And it kind of crumbled in on her. So she has this really steeled sense of, I'm going to do this and I'm going to make sure I protect everybody doing it. Which I feel like is kind of incorporated into her abilities because she can shoot a barrier bubble on herself and her teammates. So I feel like a lot of that is incorporated into her play as well as into her story. So she's so cute. I love her. What is your favorite part of your Overwatch cosplay experience so far? What do you mean by favorite? What is the most memorable experience at a con or making the costume or event that you have enjoyed with your cosplays in this genre? Sarcasm aside, you know, I haven't really had any convention-based settings other than conversationally just because Zarya is not finished yet. I haven't had the chance to put up progress photos. In fact, I've been working on something for Sarah because she wants to do Junkrat. So I'm in the midst of doing that, but I think I'll probably wind up finishing my Genderbend Reaper first, just because that's one of my primaries. And then, of course, McCree is pretty simple, so I should be able to throw that one together pretty quick. I have a feeling, though, that because Overwatch has grown as such a large community already, that it'll be fairly well received. And I'm just super excited to get to talk to other people and, hey, what do you like about the character? So that's one of my things I'm most excited about. What I'm not excited about is building Zarya's gun, because I'm gonna die. And speaking of that, that's obviously a prop how do you go about building props look at a lot of pictures cry try to throw together material and pray to the flying spaghetti monster that i can make it through but joking aside prop building is not a simple task and i feel like a lot of people don't take into consideration the amount of time the cosplayers put into what they do it's a fight and it's a battle because you put so much work and effort and then you mess one little thing up and all of a sudden pieces don't fit together or it doesn't look right or you have to redo something to adjust it It sucks zarya's gun in particular I do not have a Pepakura for, so I will have to build that from scratch. Pepakura is a program that breaks down base models and is able to texturize them to put on paper so that it can be built. There is not that I have found yet a file of her gun, so that's something I'm probably going to have to build by hand, and the way that I'm going to do it is start basing it on a cardboard and hope that we can fit foam around it and see how it goes. And now to shift to more of a PG cosplay. <laughs> a few of them. You cosplayed as Velma from Scooby-Doo, as well as a Mandorian-style mercenary from Star Wars, as well as our canine from Pokemon. How did okay. these three PG cosplays occur? Velma, it was actually funny. So I was walking through the store, and there was a sale on sweaters at a store, and I saw a sweater that was red, and I was like, oh, this is a cute sweater. I'm going to buy this for work because my boobs will fit into it. Great, and it's work appropriate. So I snatched the red sweater. Well, we walk a couple of feet, and Lee grabs an orange one, and he holds it up, and he's like, I know what you can do. And I looked at it, and I'm like, what are you talking about? And then I really looked at it, and I'm like, holy shit, that's Velma's sweater. So I snatched it from him. And I stood in the dressing room after trying on this sweater. And I was like, dear God, I've managed to find Velma's sweater. 
and it is perfect. I still have to get the skirt together and actually like complete that and do photos 100%. But man, I'm excited because she's adorable and she was always my favorite losing her glasses. I know what that feels like. Then we have Arcanine and Arcanine was actually put together for a Debutsu lounge for an adult lounge that we do during Phoenix Comic Con and a few other conventions. It is not PG and that's why I laughed is I was like, oh man, that's lingerie and a bodysuit and some things I sewed together to make the ears and the tail and everything. So chuckle, chuckle. That's why that was funny. But Arcanine has always been one of my favorite Pokemon next to Vulpix, Ninetales, Ponyta, and Rapidash. And of course, they're all fire. I can't help myself. But those Pokemon in particular and Arcanine being the royal shitheaded Pokemon that he is, is just fantastic. And then my Mandalorian. Lee is particularly deep in Star Wars. So I've learned a lot about Mandalorian culture from him just because he's so into the lore. And we discussed it. And I wanted to throw together for episode seven release a Mandalorian. So I got to do that with him. We finished our plates, built him out of Sentra. And that was a lot of fun. I still need a bucket. Haven't gotten my bucket done yet, but one of these days. And now to talk a little bit about something a little bit more sexy part of this <laughs> podcast. You've done some modeling. How did you get into this entire sector that's a little more risque, to put it politely? I literally fell into that. I got a message from somebody one day and they're like, hey, have you ever thought about modeling? There's this group that you should totally check out. And I went to one of the modeling meetings and I met several photographers and it kind of spawned from there. And I just done it ever since. Some of the things that have happened to me have just been weirdly timed. That's the best way to describe it. And now you've done some amazing sexy photo shoots with Dragon <laughs> Lindsay. How did you become involved with him, her? Him. Dragon Lindsay is my photographer husband. We've known each other for several years. He shoots landscapes. He shoots other models. He shoots sexy stuff. He's done all kinds of stuff. And I appreciate him because I've had a couple of instances with photographers where things unfortunately have not ended well. And he is the one guy who stuck by me and always been there. Anything that I needed. We've made a deal on photos and we've been able to work together it's so perfect with him that it's hard to really work with other people sometimes because he knows me so well like I can be a smart ass to him on camera and he's just like oh fuck you and then we keep going and now with these photo shoots how do you determine what you wear and how much creative freedom do you have and how much direction do you take Ron what's in my closet okay hold on starts throwing out shirts proceeds to throw out underwear. What about that? I don't know. You got some boots that'll match it? Yeah, I brought boots. Okay, great. Ron, is that a sword? Yeah, it's a sword. Give it to me. And that's about how that goes. So we'll talk about an idea. And if there's something specific we want to shoot, we'll be like, okay, what should we do? Like I did a blood shoot recently that was a lot of fun that I'm eventually gonna put in the bathtub because that's one thing I've always wanted to do. And with Halloween coming around, I will do a fucking horror shoot if it kills me. I swear to God. And it's gonna be great. But other than that, it has always been random with him. And now... Obviously, I like them. So are these photos for sale? Where can people pick them up if they're for sale? If you want something, you should message me on my fan page because I do custom shoots and stuff. So if there's something specific that you want to see, you're more than welcome to message me and be like, okay, here's my idea. This is the character I want. This is what I'm thinking. And if you've got poses and stuff, we can discuss pricing and everything because it's all based on what you're asking for, who the character is, if I have to build the costume or not, or if it's just lingerie or something. So I'm happy to do that kind of stuff. But if there's pictures that you see where you're like, hey, I'd really like a print of that, 
just send me a message and I'll see what I can do. Normally my prints prices, I try to make it a habit to do buy two, get one free. So I think it's like $7 for eight and a half by 11s and then 13 for 11 by 17s. But you're welcome to check out facebook.com slash Cosplay. The final thing that I want to talk about is Widow's Web and how you became involved in that and how you met Raven Gregory. So I met Raven when I was dressed as Dante from Devil May Cry at Phoenix Comic Con and he stopped me and he's like, oh, it's a great costume. Super sexy. What is it? So we talked for a few minutes and one of the things that he remembers most, somewhere buried on his Facebook, there's a video somewhere of me doing the dip with my sword. And for those of you that don't know what a dip is, it's a stripper move where you take said pole or object and you spread your legs and dip down and then come back up. So he asked me to do the dip with Rebellion, which I did, and it was great. And after that, I started to walk away, and he's like, come back. So then I got introduced to Ebus, who's an artist. Go ass is his phrase of choice. So I met him and a couple of other people Raven had worked with. Well, not too long after that, we talked back and forth occasionally, you know, kind of became friends. Well, I started writing and just putting drabbles and shit on my Facebook intermittently. And one day, he messaged me, and he's like, hey, I really like your writing. It's kind of just shit, but it's there. And he's like, I have this idea. And that's where it was spawned from. Thus, Widow's Web was born. He had this idea of a horror romance, and he wasn't sure how to put it on paper. So we started bouncing ideas, and it just sprung to life from there, and there she is. And so could you go into a little bit about the story? So Widow's Web is billed as a boy meets girl kind of story. In this case, the girl might actually wind up eating the boy. It takes place in Sesame City, which if you're clever, you can flip that around and realize that it's insect backwards, which alludes to a lot of other things special about the characters. It centers around a character who's like a really pretty girl next door type named Dahlia Winters, but she winds up meeting this guy down on his luck. His girlfriend just broke up with him. He's had a shitty time, but he meets her and it's all just, a shitstorm from there and there's a lot of really interesting characters we tried to make it a point to create characters that anyone could really relate to so somebody for everybody basically there's a lot of strong female characters there's a lot of strong male characters and there's so much interwoven into the story that's going on at once that it's not until you reach the end that you realize how it comes together and that's one of my favorite things about what we managed to create and how did the interaction between the two of you go when you were bouncing ideas off and creating the story and really pushing it forward on a writing level. So I have a story for this. So I'm sitting on his couch and there was a point in the story, I think it's an issue four, so I don't want to say anything because issue four hasn't been released yet. There's something that happens and we were discussing it and I was like, well, what the hell are we going to do to try to move this forward, to drive the story in the direction it needs to go? And we talked about it and we didn't get anywhere and we didn't get anywhere. And finally I was like, well, fuck. And then I looked at him and I'm like, did you ever see that episode of Supernatural? And we started talking about Supernatural and just bullshitting. And I was talking about the episode where Meg calls Castiel Clarence for the first time. So Raven all of a sudden is like, okay, well, I gotta go to the bathroom. You keep thinking on it. We'll figure it out, whatever. So he goes to the bathroom and it gets really quiet, like dead silent in the house. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking things over and I'm like, all right, I'm not really sure how we're gonna do this. And from the bathroom at the loudest I've ever heard him scream. He yells, Clarence! 
And I'm like, what the fuck is he doing? So he comes out of the bathroom and he's like, okay, listen. He's like, I was taking a shit and it just dawned on me, Clarence. And I was like, okay. Thus, that idea that went with that particular instance was born. And that's pretty much how all of our brainstorming sessions have gone is we'll drink and then we'll talk and then we'll bullshit and then somebody will say something and then Clarence is born. There you go. And now this comic was started on Kickstarter. And it did very well on Kickstarter, from my understanding. It did. Thanks to so much support from friends and family. I refuse to use the word fans necessarily because they're all my friends, in my opinion. Whether I've met you or not, if you supported anything that I did, you're my friend. And I appreciate you. Were it not for those people, including Brian Polito, who is assisting us, that's Lady Death. So many fantastic people behind the project and behind us and assisting that I could not thank them enough for helping us with that Kickstarter success. Obviously, you promoted the comic in a fascinating way <laughs> as you cosplayed the main character. I cosplayed Dahlia. I cosplayed Dahlia originally in her normal outfit, and then I also did the dress-down version of Mike DeBalfo's cover of the shorts and the white tank top. So I did that at Emerald City Comic Con. But kind of worked in our favor. We were able to really take something that I could do and use it to our advantage for the marketing of the comic and, and to be able to get people interested in it a little more as well. So that was a lot of fun. And what was it like as a co-writer to be cosplaying your own work? It's so weird. Raven's used to this because he used to work on the Grim Fairy Tales series and the Alice in Wonderland series and things like that. So he was more used to it than I was. But I had someone walk up to me dressed in a cosplay as one of our characters and I lost my damn mind. I was like, oh my god, I made you! And you're here! And, and it was just so exciting because... I couldn't believe that somebody had taken something that I had put a design out there for and I could see it and they wanted to be that character. I got messages where people were like, I really like such and such character because she's kick ass and she does this. And I'm just flabbergasted because it's such an amazing feeling to see that work come to life in such a way. And what is currently going on with this comic? So we actually just managed to kickstart the last three issues. So right now we are pending national publisher. So once that gets completed, we hopefully will see the rest of three, four, five, and six. It is a six issue miniseries, so issue six will be the last. But from there, it's just a matter of waiting to see how people receive it once it's a little more on the market and, and more accessible. If you do want to find it, you're welcome to contact me or you can go to theravengregory.com and he has it for sale as well. But I'm really hoping to see something come of it because it is such an unusual and interesting story base. So you obviously have a lot of experience in cosplay as well as you have a lot of experience in co-writing Widow's Web. What advice do you have for people who want to get into cosplay and write comics? Don't let anybody tell you no. Don't let anybody tell you that you can't. Don't let anybody get you down. Don't let somebody drag you through the mud so deep that you can't pick yourself back up because anything that they have to say is a shit lie. I have been able to do things that I never in my life would have imagined I would be sitting here doing. I had a lot of shitty things happen to me as a kid. Just like similar stories, I was bullied too. I had some girls try to push me down a staircase in middle school from the second stories. I've had bad shit, but it never stopped me. And if you were to go back and you were to ask me five to ten years ago if I ever thought I would have done the things that I've done, I was able to do voice acting for Mr. Creepypasta. All kinds of shit. I've done voice acting in mods. On top of that, I have a comic under my name. I've been in 
a comic. I do costumes. I've done such amazing stuff that if I would have given up or if I wouldn't have at least tried, I never could say that I, I would have been able to do those. And it's just an amazing feeling. So if you have something that you want to do, fucking do it. Don't let anybody tell you you can't. Fuck them. And then finally, even though you're not so great at marketing yourself, I'm going to give you the <laughs> opportunity. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, yes. comics, Twitch, YouTube. So you can find me under youtube.com slash autumnivy. I'm also on Twitch. I try to stream at least Fridays and Saturdays. If not, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Just check for my schedule. But that Twitch is under xxautumnivy, xx. Facebook is facebook.com slash Cosplay. Tumblr, it's under Cosplay on Tumblr as well. And then I have an Instagram as well. It's under xxautumnivyxx, as well as Twitter under the same name. Basically, if you want to find me, just Google Ivy and then Google Balloon Tits, and I'm pretty sure you'll eventually find me. As always, thank you for listening to this podcast all throughout Season 1 and continuously to listen all throughout Season 2. And while you wait for next week's episode, you can check out popanimecomics.com for articles relating to anime, comics, and pop culture. And until next time, everybody, have a wonderful week.